If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, Holy Spirit, we pray for your power to come so that we can hear particularly your voice uniquely and specifically for each one of us what we need to hear, whether it's through this talk or through the worship or the praise. We know that you speak, that our ears hear what comes from your mouth. In Christ's name, amen. My name is Philip Jones, and uh, I know many of you, uh, and I'm the senior pastor at All Saints Dallas over on Oak Lawn. I'm also the bishop uh, in the Commission in America, and so from time to time, I get to come and celebrate with you. It's always a great joy, and this particular time, it's for confirmation. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. Uh, but uh, uh, the confirmation service is really a membership service. These are people that have gone through a class uh, and they've signed a covenant and they say, I want all Saints East Dallas to be my church and I really want to commit myself to it. And so this is the way that we do membership in our particular tradition. Our church will do it lots of different ways. This is how we do it. So in a few moments, after my brief, witty, winsome, insightful, life-changing talk, you will have the opportunity to witness a confirmation as maybe some of you have in the past and uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment. What is confirmation? Why does it even come about into the church? In our particular tradition, uh, which is connected a lot with the Catholic tradition, confirmation uh, was a sacrament uh, promulgated somewhere around the, I don't know, 15th, 14th century, somewhere around there. And the idea was that um, uh, with, with the understanding of baptism, and particularly infant baptism, uh, was there going to be some kind of way to... Uh, allow uh, these children as they grew up to make a public confession of their faith and to go through classes that may be more uh, in line with where they are age-wise. And usually that was around 12 or 13, and in many churches it still is. And so, uh, and then the confirmation also became a right, a liturgical right, uh, for uh, those people that might be coming from other traditions. So confirmation uh, was a sacramental and is a sacramental right uh, for membership in a church, but it came about through that reason so that as the kids grew up, they had some way of understanding a bit, a bit more about their faith as they grew older and also to make their own public profession of faith. That, that's how it came about. Uh, but what's even more important than that, really, is uh, what do we want to see take place at a confirmation-type service to confirm someone, to seal upon them something about the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's really the efficacy of any service, especially a confirmation service. Because in a few moments, I'll lay hands upon those people being received or those people being confirmed. 
So he may ask, what's the difference? You are One is received if they've already been confirmed, particularly in the Anglican tradition or a Catholic tradition or something like that. Otherwise, uh, they are confirmed if not received. But more important than all that, what's really taking place? So I want to talk to you for a few moments about what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in and for us, and what the Holy Spirit moves in us to do certain things and is upon us for the sake of other people. Let's begin here. Let's begin in the gospel reading for today. Uh, turn in your Bibles or into the bulletin to John chapter 14. And these are the last words of Christ in the gospel of John uh, the night before that he, he died. He's talking to his disciples. And so we would recognize that the last words of any person uh, is going, they're going to be important words. And, uh, and so he has a lot of things to tell them. Most of it is about what's going to happen after he dies, what's going to be provided for them, what is also now provided for you and for me almost 2,000 years later. Things haven't changed. <laughs> There's been no other revelation. This is it. So we're just going to pick out a few of these words and then kind of move from there. But notice what he says. If you love me, verse uh, 15, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say he might give you another helper. He doesn't say he hopes he's going to give you another helper. He knows that, Jesus, that the Father's going to give another helper. How does he know that? Well, you may say, he's the Son of God. He's supposed to know everything. Well, that is true. But he's also fully human. And so he knows there's been a deposit in the Hebrew scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament, that pointed to this particular fact, this particular reality. No doubt Jesus was thinking, because other places he talks about this, he was thinking about the prophet Jeremiah, 600 years before Christ. In chapter 31 of the prophet Jeremiah, he said, there's going to be a day when I'm going to relate to my people with a new covenant, a new way of relating to me, no longer by the old covenant, no longer law written on tablets of stone, but I will write my law on their hearts. We are a people who receive our identity from God the Father in this covenant kind of language. In the old covenant, we simply could not keep it. All along, the Lord knew there would be a day for a new covenant. He flipped over a few books of the Bible to Ezekiel, chapter 36. The Lord shares with Ezekiel what that covenant is going to look like. I am going to take my spirit. This is what the Lord says to Ezekiel, some 600 years before Christ. I'm going to put my spirit in your heart. I'm going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Stone flesh. Hard, brittle, cold, unmoving flesh. Soft, malleable, life-giving. I'm going to give this to you. There's something he's going to change the want to in our heart. You will, the Lord says to Ezekiel, you will want to follow me. You would desire to follow me. 
There's a point in our life when we grow up, as we become teenagers or post-teenagers, at some point, usually at some point, we actually want to do what our parents want us to do. Not because we have to, but because we want to, because we trust them. The Lord says, I'm going to put this in your heart. And then if you skip over some other prophet, there's a prophet named Joel near the end of the Old Testament. And he tells us who this is going to be for. It's going to be for all people. Regardless of age, the young and the old. Regardless of status, masters and servants. Regardless of gender, male and female. Your young men, the Lord tells Joel, will dream dreams. And your old men will see visions. I'm here to tell you I'm still dreaming dreams. Hopefully for a continued longer time. I'll let you know when I move into the vision part. But right now I'm still dreaming dreams. All of this was set up, and then there were 400 years of silence. Did you know that? Between the book of Malachi and, and the last book of the, of the Old Testament and, and the, gospel of the, the Gospels, 400 years of silence. No one stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord. I'm talking still about the Holy Spirit. And then if you read the Gospel of Luke, at the beginning before the birth of Christ, even before the Annunciation to Mary, we see the Holy Spirit beginning to pop up as, as uh, um, Zechariah goes into the temple and his wife Elizabeth is found to be, okay, she's with child and she's kind of over the age for that. And so something is happening. And then there's the Annunciation to Mary. And then, and then there, there's all that, that uh, wonder about what's happening inside Mary. She's become impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. And she's carrying the Messiah. And then there's that wonderful chapter in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, where an old man named Simeon, and the word Simeon means to hear, and an old man named Simeon, he is told by the Holy Spirit, what it says, that you will not die before you see the Messiah. Day after day, week after week, month after month, who knows how long he was there, but he stood at the temple gates waiting to see as men, young boys, maybe even babies, were, were coming into the temple area, and he was waiting for the Lord to say, this is the one. And finally, Mary and Joseph came to bring Jesus a baby and to present Jesus at the temple, according to the law. And the Lord told, through the Spirit, told Simeon, this is the one. This is the one. My point is this. That's a quick background of the preparation for the work of the Holy Spirit. But there's so much more. I can't go into all of it. I'll go into two or three more passages. Jesus is born. He lives an obscure life for 30 years. And then he comes on the scene to begin his public ministry. But how does he come onto the scene? Remember, he is baptized in the River Jordan. Who baptized him? John the Baptist. And then as he came out of the baptismal waters, the heavens opened. The Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. Remember? And these words are spoken over him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit for ministry. He had the Holy Spirit. Of course, he's part of the Trinity. But there was a, a, a different anointing for the Holy Spirit to begin his public ministry. 
if you went to the Gospel of John. In John chapter 7, now Jesus is in his public ministry. And he's revealing the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit begins to move more and more. And at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, a celebration of how the Israelites were provided for as they wandered through the desert, at the very last day, the seventh day of the feast, Jesus stands up in the temple courts, and this is what he says. If you are thirsty, come to me, and out of you will flow springs of living water. Out of you will flow springs of living water. Now notice the question. Notice the statement, if you are thirsty. If you know that you have a need. At some point, most of us know that we have a need, whether it's for provision, whether it's for forgiveness, whether it's for guidance. At some point, we come to the end of our rope, and we know that we have a need. Now, listen closely. I'm going to say something that will shock you, but you need to hear it because it's true. God has nothing for those who have no need. It actually makes sense, but it's kind of shocking at first. God has nothing for those who have no need. There comes a point where we know that we need. Now, here's, here's the reality. Jesus says, come to me, not to the temple, not to some other prophet. You come to me. Out of you will flow springs of living water. The reality is this, that we can be standing by the banks of the river or the water of life and never go in. We can come to church all of our life, sing all of the songs, get emotional about them, but actually never take that step to not just believe, but to receive him. Jesus says, if you come to me, out of you will flow springs of living water. By this, he meant the Holy Spirit. That's what John says, this little addition to that. So it could be clear to you what he meant. So the flow, there's a, a double motion. We receive and out of us flows something. And, and, and then what he says in John chapter 14, he says that this is, he's going to do it. The Father's going to pour this stuff out, and you're going to have it, and there's going to be another helper, another helper. That means there was a first helper. And, and the word for helper also means counselor, guide, paraclete. It's parakletos in Greek. Who was the first counselor? Well, remember Isaiah chapter 9, written 700 years before Christ, that prophecy where uh, the Lord says, Isaiah, there'll be a day when a son will be born. On his shoulders will be the government, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. But it's not unusual for a son to be born. Half the people born are sons, men. And it's not unusual for someone to have, have the government to rest upon their shoulders because some people are born into authority in a particular government. But then it goes on to say his, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So Jesus says there's going to be a day when he's going to send another counselor, another helper, another guide, and he's coming. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, but what does he do? Well, we talked about John chapter 7. Let me just give you two more verses, and then we'll be through. Luke chapter 24. It's the very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now, you and I know that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, right? 
At the very end of the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, after the resurrection, Jesus gives his disciples on that particular Sunday evening, according to the scriptures, an incredible Bible study. He opened up the scriptures, which at that time would be the Old Testament, that revealed things about himself. And then it's what he said to his disciples, wait here for the promise of the Father and the power from on high comes upon you to go out into the world. I want you to wait here. And then our other reading for this evening or from Acts chapter 1. Turn in your Bible or turn in your bulletin to that, and we will be finishing with that. In Acts chapter 1, written also by Luke, this is the Acts of the early church. It wasn't all the Acts of the early church. It's the one that Luke was inspired to put down and to write. But it begins where the gospel of Luke ended. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, verse 4, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What's the promise? It's the Holy Spirit. Go back to Jeremiah. Go back to Ezekiel. Go back to Job. Go back to the prophecies. This is so important because this is the life-giving force that we have, this person of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said to you, you heard from me. John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What did that mean for them? The reality is this, that when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us for conversion, to recognize our need not to just believe, but also to receive and to know him, to give our life to him, to recognize our need for a Savior. I get that. Most of us get that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Here he's talking about now the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the sake of other people. Say that with me. For the sake of other people. You have the Holy Spirit in you for your conversion, but now the Holy Spirit can come upon you for the sake of other people. Now, you may say, well, is it a different spirit? No. Is it a different event? Not necessarily. It's really releasing that which is already in us, but recognizing it's not just for me. It's for the sake of other people. This work of Christ in our life, the peace and the joy that we can feel, is actually for the sake of the world around us. So then he goes on to say, verse 6, So when they had come together, they said, Lord, will you now at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're way off <laughs> in their understanding of what Jesus is saying. He says, no, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is what I want to close with. The Holy Spirit is in you for your conversion. The Holy Spirit comes upon you for the sake of other people, and you will receive power. Now, we could go through the whole book of Acts and look at this stuff and see how that power works itself out. It doesn't mean everything went rosy and up to the right. People were beheaded. People were thrown in jail. People were killed. People were set off. People were kicked out. I mean, people died. All kinds of rough stuff happened, even within the church, much less the persecution of the church. But still, there is a power. You and I need to know 
that power and that hope that the Holy Spirit gives us because your children and your grandchildren are going to grow up in a culture, they already are growing up in a culture, uh, that focuses not on a utopia but on a dystopia, that everything is falling apart. I'm fascinated, though I don't watch them, all these zombie shows, all these walking dead shows. I mean, I'm fascinated by that stuff, why people would, walk, would watch that. But, but I get it. See, I didn't grow up in the era of a dystopia. We kind of grew up in the era, I see some of you, I know you're about my age, where it was all supposed to be good and wonderful, everything up and to the right, but that hasn't happened. And so there's a sense that everything is falling apart. And so some of the understandings behind this dystopian worldview is that we are incredibly broken people. Well, welcome to the world, finally. I mean, I think we all can get that. You don't need zombies to tell us that, but nevertheless, it's kind of reflecting that, isn't it? Now, unless we can give people really hope, unless we can give people and show people real power, and when I say power, I don't mean like power to make you do things that you don't want to do. I mean power to do what you want to do because the Lord, you've received the Lord, you've believed, you've received Him, and out of you is flowing springs of living water. Do you feel that? Do you know that? Do you experience that? Look to the right, look to the left, look behind you, look in front of you. Can you, can you feel, experience, know that springs of living water are flowing either from you or from them to you? Are, are you around people like that? That's our heritage. We're co-heirs of Christ. So now, in a moment, we're going to ask people to come up and I'm going to lay hands upon them. But before I do that, I want to give all of us a chance to simply not just believe, but to receive and understand that as you receive, we are leaky buckets. And so we may receive well today, but tomorrow it'll all be empty again. Amen? And then if we're not careful, it'll be empty again the day after that. And so there's kind of a constant need, St. Paul tells us, Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in you for your conversion, if you've been converted, but he's on you for the sake of other people. So we're specifically going to pray for that for these compromises, for people we receive, but I don't want them to get all the good stuff. I want all of us to get all the good stuff. And we don't have time to lay hands on all of you, although I wish we could. And so what I want to do right now is just have a simple prayer. Is that okay? So bow your heads for a moment. Sit, kneel, stand, whatever you want to do. But just take a moment. Lord, I hear your word. There's got to be more. I'm thinking of some of you have, have been filled in the past and, and maybe it's dried up or Others of you who, this is new to you. You've been into God's Word, but, but you've never been taught much about the Holy Spirit. Or to others of you who may be bursting forth in, in, with great power, and this is just a continued encouragement to you. But Lord, I pray right now, for me personally, and for each one of us, not to just believe, and not even just to receive, 
but let springs of flowing water flow out of us. And by that, we mean the Holy Spirit. Then we will be baptized. We just have a simple prayer. If you want that, just in the silence of your heart, pray this prayer. Lord, I know you have more for me. I know you love me, even when I don't love myself. But I know I'm not supposed to be living just for myself. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. Lord, I pray that for me. I need that. I pray for Jay and for Chris. I pray for everyone in this church here tonight. On this November 12th, 2017 baptize us in the Holy Spirit for the sake of others with power with power we give more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit that's already in us and when we say come Holy Spirit that is really what we mean so say with me, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And I'm going to leave a moment of silence as we receive and are filled for the sake of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.